right. Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? All right. That was that was a mediocre answer. So we'll try it again because need more energy. How you guys doing? Hi. All right. There we are. Good to see you guys. Um, something else. Well, before I dive into it, if you have your Bibles, open up to Exodus chapter sixteen. That's where we're going to start today. And uh, we're going to continue on our series on gratitude. But before we dive into that, let me start by uh, saying thank you to you guys. Um, Pastor's appreciation last month, man, I felt incredibly loved. My whole family did with your, your notes and your gifts. And just we were blown away by how generous and, and welcoming and thankful you guys are. So thank you to you guys for last month. That was really, really special for us. And also thank you for last week. Um, as Pastor Jeff shared last Sunday, you know, tragedy hit my family and... Um, 15 kids in my family, uh, child number two, of my, or child number three, my second oldest brother, Abe, passed away on Friday. Um, so that was, uh, it was an unexpected, kind of expected thing. He had been dealing with health issues a lot of his life, so being told he was going to the hospital was nothing new. Like, we knew, it's like, okay, he's going to go, and it was kind of a routine over the course of the years of his life, but when I got the call Thursday saying that he wasn't going to pull out, that was the unexpected part. But um, thank you to Pastor Jeff at, I mean, just, I called him Friday morning and said, can you be here Sunday? And he did. So I, I appreciate you very much. Thank you for doing that. And then just the outpouring of love I got from you guys. Thank you so, so much. I, I love this place. I love you guys. And I know that um, I felt your prayers. So thank you very, very much. Um, there'll be a service later on for my brother back in California later this month that um, I'm looking forward to, but not at the same time. It's, it's a weird dynamic, you know, but, but um, I know God is good. I know he's in control, and um, our family has come together in this. So thank you all again for being with me as we navigate through this uh, difficult season. Um, another tradition we've talked about, thanks gathering. Um, I am super excited for our thanks gathering service. Um, when I was in California, this was by far, for me, my favorite service of the entire year. Coming and hearing people talk about what they're thankful for, um, sharing letters that they've written to God. It's, you know, it, it's like reading someone's personal mail or them reading it to you. And so you really, you really get connected with people that are sharing. And it's, it's a fun way to just see, wow, how God is blessing people. And it's a great way to start off Thanksgiving morning. And there, there's another tradition that I want to start here at the church in the Thanksgiving season. Um, I, I love that uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, um, I know one of my favorite holidays is Thanksgiving. And I've talked with a bunch of people around here, and they say they love Thanksgiving as well. Something that I learn people, you know, either you love or you hate, is the rain in this area. Now, I think it was just this last Thursday. Was, that, was it Thursday that the rain really came down here? We experienced something we don't get in California. One was rain. Um, but two, we went outside, and we saw the rain coming down and then, like, sweeping off to the side. And my dog went outside and didn't know what to do. She is a California dog. So now she goes to the bathroom on the patio and not the grass because of the rain. But, but we love this season. We love what it means. We love being thankful. And we love the, the word harvest. Uh, people call it the, the harvest season. And I'm going to talk something about something I want to do here at the church called the harvest offering. So what, what I want to start is a tradition every year where at this time of the year around Thanksgiving, we're going to receive what's called a harvest offering. This is going to be just a one-time special offering that we'll receive. And what it will do is this is going to be something that we then get to bless the world with. 
Whatever, we give, whatever is given uh, to the harvest offering, it's not going to be kept in-house. It's not going to pay the bills. It's not going to pay utilities. 100% of this is going to go out to different missionaries, whether it's missionaries in Mexico, in, uh, in Uganda, wh- wherever they are, we can send things out. It's not just going to go to missionaries overseas. It's going to go to our community around here. Are there needs that families are saying, this is something a family needs? This is something the school needs? This is a project that's happening where we can show the impact and love and hands and feet of Jesus in our community, and it's going to go there. And it's something that I'm really, really excited for because it's an opportunity we get to really be the hands and feet of Jesus above and beyond what we normally do. So something about this offering, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9.15. He says, I thank God for this gift too for wonderful words. In in this context, Paul is commending people. He's thanking them for their, their gifts of generosity to the work of God. And he's reminding them of the gift that God gave to us with Jesus. And I know that when it comes to giving, there's always a cost to giving. Right? Giving costs something from you. It takes something from you, right? In 2 Samuel 24, 24, David says, I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. So as we enter into this uh, Thanksgiving season, as we prepare for, for a harvest offering, would you guys do something with me? I would love for us to all to be a part of this. Would you pray for it? Pray for this offering. Pray for whatever comes in, whatever God puts on your heart to do, for our heart to do as a church, that God takes it and multiplies it, and that this is something that makes an incredible impact in the kingdom. Pray for it and plan for it, and we're going to receive it on Sunday, on November 21st, a Sunday before Thanksgiving. Um, now, we'll receive it on that Sunday, but you'll be able to continue to give to it um, if you're able or want to for the rest of the year. And this is not something where what I want to do is pray for our hearts with that. I I don't want this to be something where we say, well, I can put a few extra drops in here because I I won't get a coffee this month. What I really want this to be, my prayer for this, is that we as a church, we say, okay, I'm going to sacrifice something from my personal life. I'm not going to do this because I'm going to give here because I know the impact that God can do with this. So it's going to be something sacrificial. It's going to cost us something. But ultimately, I think no matter what it costs us, the reward of what God's going to do with it is so much greater than the cost. So pray for it. None of it's going to stay with us. It's all going to go out. And um, for an example of something we can do with this, because of your guys' incredible generosity last year, we, we talk about that a lot from the stage. Like, the, you guys are incredibly generous people, and I love that about us. Um, something that we got to do, there was a, a very dear pastor friend of mine who was in a car accident uh, this year. Uh, his name is Pastor Oliver, and he was in a car accident so severe that when I first got the, the text from my friend saying Pastor Oliver was in an accident, the initial diagnosis was he would never walk again. They said it was that bad. He's, having, he's going to have multiple surgeries. I saw some of the pictures, and I was crushed. Um, now, through the process, I, w- I was actually able, I'm uh, in a learning group where we're reading a book and doing Zoom calls with other pastors, and I get to see Oliver every week now. And he's in no brace, and he's walking around, and just like, this is a miracle that God has done with him. But part of the expenses are medical bills. Because of this church's generosity, he got hit with a huge medical bill, and we were able to partner with other churches and pay off a big portion of his medical expenses. And that was just a huge blessing that we got to do as Celebration Church for Pastor Oliver. And so my, my dream and vision for this offering is being able to do things like that for people. Say, wow, someone has been hurt in a way where they cannot recover from this on their own. Well, guess what? Here's a gift from the church. We love you, and Jesus loves you. Here's what we can do. So pray for this offering. I'm excited to see what we can do with this and how uh, we can just kind of put our stamp on Celebration Church supports you guys. We love you guys, not just because of who we are, because of who Jesus is. So pray about it. We're going to do that on November 21st, and this is something I I want to, to do each and every year, and we'll get to use that to be a big blessing to people in our community. 
All right, let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this place. I thank you for who you are. And I thank you that, that we get to have this attitude of gratitude just in our lives because of who you are and what you've done. God, I pray today as we dive into your word and we talk more about gratitude, um, you, you reveal things to us that we need to, to shift, things we need to change. God, and I pray that we all leave here different than when we came because we had an encounter with you. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. All right. Now, I'm a movie guy. I love movies. Um, I love you know superhero movies. I love action movies. I love mystery movies. I just I just love movies. I get totally encompassed and caught up in a movie. I like forget the world around me, and I get caught up in it. And there's a movie that um, when I saw, I pinpointed one of my brothers and I said, "This is going to be you when you're old." A movie that came out in the '90s about two men. I'll give you some descriptive words and see if you guys have seen this one. Uh, movies about uh, it was two movies that came out. These two guys. There's lots of complaining. Lots of negativity, lots of intolerance. What was it? Grumpy old men, yes. Grumpy old men and grumpier old men. I love those movies. I love those movies. As a matter of fact, I was looking for a fun clip to show this morning, but they all had bad things, and so I couldn't show the clip. But I was like, man, but these movies are funny. These two guys just going at it with each other. And these movies were well-received because they allow us to witness the main characters, Walter Matthau and John Lemon, get away with exaggerated attitudes, exaggerated behaviors, all on the premise of being grumpy, right? And because they were able to express their irritability to each other into comedy, these movies became a big hit. They became a favorite, including favorites that people still watch to this day. I found myself not that long ago, it was on TV, and I stopped and watched it. I had seen it a bunch of times, but it just makes me laugh. However, if we were to practice their words and actions off screen in real life, we would probably be far from anybody's favorite people, right? If you were to go to someone and have those attitudes, they probably would write you off. Because in reality, nobody likes to spend time with a complainer. Nobody likes to spend time with a whiner. And nobody likes to spend time with a grumbler. Right? That's the reality. When you have these attitudes, people still are clear. They, you, you're the person, you can be the one that walks in the door and people go, oh, here he comes. Oh, they, they, you don't want that. Those attitudes are not looked highly upon. Studies have shown, actually, that fewer things are more detrimental to your health than a bad attitude. And it's not just the attitude. The attitude spirals into so many different things. It can help. It starts with our mindset. If our perspective gets stuck in the muck or a negativity or, or it, it starts messing with our bodies, it messes with our behaviors, our mental state, our emotional state. Our attitude is the foundation for how all these things start to play out. And even your physical health can take on a bad posture, a posture of negativity. And so today I want to talk about a couple things. But one, I'm going to start talking about ingratitude. So we have gratitude and we have ingratitude. Now, ingratitude is this. It's the failure or refusal to acknowledge receipt of something good from another. The forgetfulness or of or poor return of kindness. So ingratitude is not, it's the choice to not recognize good things. It's the choice to look past good things and not acknowledge what people have done for you, what God has done for you. And it comes down into a spirit of grumpy old men, Right? You have this grumpy attitude. And the Bible is full of stories that originate when you break them down to the people's heart. When their heart comes and says it was one full of ingratitude, things started to spiral down and you start to see the, the mixing and, and changing of what happens, but it stems from a heart of ingratitude. Now, many of us know the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel in the book of Genesis. Both brothers offered a sacrifice to God. And we have Abel's sacrifice, which was acceptable. He took his 
biggest, fattest calf. He sacrificed it, and the aroma was sweet and pleasing to God. Abel offered his fruit, but God rejected the sacrifice. Now, when you break the story down, you learn that it's not because it was fruit. It was the heart behind Cain's sacrifice, the heart behind what he did that God rejected it. Cain's ungrateful spirit, though, sparked a wave of stewing anger, which convinced Cain that the answer to his wounded pride was not a reflection of his ungrateful service, but the solution was the murder of his brother. It stemmed from Cain not being thankful for what God was doing. King David is another example. David lived a blessed life. Scripture talks about David being the greatest king in Israel. God gave him a flourishing kingdom. He had a successor, a successful career as a king. He had a wife who loved him. He had a healthy family. He was well-loved. The people cheered for him. Even before he was king, people were singing his praises. However, when his moment, his gaze shifted from the goodness and mercies that God had given him, God, he was not looking at the wonders God was doing in him. Instead, it shifted to another man's wife. And when it shifted to another man's wife, he ultimately went down the path where he coveted what he didn't have. He looked at his life, and that was not enough anymore. He wanted something that wasn't his. He was not grateful for what God had done. He wanted more, and it led him to commit adultery. Even under the umbrella of his repentance, and David did repent, and there's an amazing, amazing passage of David coming and falling on his knees before God, truly sorry for what he had done, there was still a stain on his reign. His life was scarred by this, all because his shift focused from the Lord's grace in his life, forgetting for what he had and choosing to be ungrateful in that moment. Today, we're going to spend some time looking at Exodus, and I think we get to see a lot of complaining and grumbling and ingratefulness when we talk about the Israelites going through the desert. God did some incredible things, right? If you know the story of the Israelites, they're delivered from Egypt, slaves for so many years, and now they're free, and they're in the desert, and you see God doing so many things, but yet their story is consistently filled with points where they're not thankful, and they're complaining, and they're upset, and we see how that starts to affect the people around them. I would argue that the slippery slope of the, the sins in the desert originated from the sin of ingratitude. There's a philosopher named David Hume. He wrote this, of all the crimes that human creatures are capable of committing, the most horrid and unnatural is gratitude. I think early philosophers understood what science today starts to prove, that gratitude is a wellspring of life. Gratitude is a wellspring of life. It's only been in the past 30 years or so that gratitude has actually entered a scientific study, that scientists are trying to examine how is this affecting people around us? How is it affecting you? But the study of gratitude has many challenges, right? To measure a trait proven to be much more than attitude, but, but it has to be the embodiment of expression, of value, an emotional and spiritual connection. That's, it's almost impossible to try and do a scientific study on. But just as science shows that this is a challenging measure, I think so is the simplicity of the nemesis of gratitude. And that's what I really want to focus on today. Ingratitude and grumbling. Ingratitude, I think, can begin in small ways. So start, really start manifesting into little itty bits in our lives before it starts to flourish. And it can often be masked by other emotions. We say, no, it's not that I'm not thankful, it's that I'm angry. But I think it stems from not being thankful. I think so much of ingratitude can really spur out into bigger things, but it always starts there. It can be masked by emotions, thoughts, behaviors, into making a spirit of ungratefulness really a challenge to identify. But we may think not much of it now, but I think it has a huge price. So I want to examine Israel's attitude in its earliest days after they, they um, exited Egypt. So we have the initial grumble. The initial grumble in Exodus chapter 16. After 45 days of travel, Israel's now resources are starting to run dry. 
They're running out of food. That's a lot of people going through the desert. I know some of us would say, I wouldn't last four or five days in the desert. This is now 45 days going through the desert. Dwindling resources, hunger and exhaustion starts to overtake their reserve. The excitement over escaping their enemies is now, and newfound sense of freedom is starting to get squelched. They're no longer celebrating that they were free. They are starting to get upset. As their bellies begin to rumble, their mouths begin to grumble. They begin to get upset. And this is a problem I know that not just the Israelites suffered from, right? How many of us have had a moment where we're like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm in a spiritual high right now. I just had an encounter where I feel like I'm really good. When I was a youth pastor, this typically was coming back from camp. We'd come back and we'd have students and even counselors like, man, we are on fire. This is so good. And then life hits in and suddenly you're not so, I mean, you, you have that spiritual wave and it starts to dissipate and then they go back to school and friends and peers and life hits and that, that high starts to fade. We experience that to this day. That's what the Israelites are kind of experiencing right now. They had this high of we are free and now reality is setting in that this is hard. This is going to be a hard journey, and they start complaining about what's happening. So Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 2, it says this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die in hunger. Just as we struggle with the gravity of our physical needs, Israel was struggling with the gravity of their physical needs right now. They were overcome by the fear of their hunger. Israel's focus shifted at that moment. It shifted away from the Lord's provision of what he could provide back to Egypt. It shifted away from what God was actively doing for them to the way things used to be, the way things were. Their complaints surpassed their empty bellies to a resolve that they thought Egypt takes care of us better than you are now. And that was not true. That was, you know, you say something when you're, my, my wife has a sign that says, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry. Yeah, Israel has this moment right now. Sorry for what we said when we were hungry, right? They're having this moment in their time of need. They're saying Egypt's taking better, better care of us. They're considering now going back to a place where they were whipped, beaten, tortured. And they said a line here that is just not true. They said, we ate all the bread and meat we wanted. No, you didn't. That, that's just, now, now you're just fantasizing about this old life because things are really, really hard. But we do that. We totally do that. We can look back and say, oh man, the greener pastures we used to have and it's hard now. Israel is here and we do it too. But this is what ingratitude can do. It can literally cause us to justify bad memories, bad situations, bad habits, bad attitudes, and look anywhere except up for our source of provision. Cause us to look anywhere except to God. Instead of looking ahead, we look back at was. We justify what was. And I think God doesn't want us to go back to what was. He wants us to move forward to what is, what he is doing for us. And Israel's having this moment. Continuing now, starting in verse uh, four. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us, Moses continued. The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and more than enough bread in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. 
Imagine some people in Israel going, "Uh oh, look <laughs> kind of at that stomach." I was complaining to you, not to God, but now that you put it that way, <laughs> kind of the realization of what they were doing. But the Lord was being gentle at this point with his spiritual infants. He, at the starting of their journey, he heard them grumble, and he graciously provided for them by sending manna. Man, they would go out, and it was the bread from heaven every morning. They got to eat this. However, Moses takes this. He takes this teaching opportunity and addresses their toxic attitudes. In essence, Moses warns Israel and says, "Hey." This complaining against yourselves, this underlying murmuring, it's not against Aaron and me. Your words are against God. Is this who we are? He's saying, is this really what we're going to be known as, guys, the complainers against God? We're going to complain what God has done for us, what we've seen God do? I don't want that. Moses understood something in this moment. He understood for the Israelites, and he wanted them to know that we become what we behold. We will become what we behold. And James talks about this as well. But if we, if we behold anger, we're going to become angry people. If we look back and, and we, we, we hold on to envy, we're going to become jealous people. If we, if we harbor frustration, and that's what we, we harbor for, we, we hold on to it. I'm going to get frustrated. I'm not letting this go. And we're going to become quarrelsome with our friends around us, with our fellow Christ followers, arguments that keep us from getting along with another. What we hold on to, that's what we're going to become. Moses knew that if the people held on to this grumbling, they would become people so far from the heart of God. James, one of the early church leaders and the half-brother of Jesus, he understood well, and he actually spoke to this in his letter to the church as well. When he surveyed his congregation, he found that a body of believers was adopting sin into their lifestyle, and they were justifying it, saying this is okay. Different postures of sin, and James urged them, just as Moses did, to guard themselves. He said to many of the, the Christ followers, many of them who were infants at that point, who had just come to know Jesus after he ascended into heaven, to remain strong. Insignificant trials have an attitude of Jesus. For if they don't, they're going to become burdens, or they're going to become beholden to the sin that they are now letting into their lives. In James 1, 12 to 15, James says this to his church. A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one... No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, for, no one, for God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, desires that tempt us to place faith in any other place than God any other place than God, for Israel, this was Egypt, they were now wanting to put their faith back in Egypt, has a potential to lead us away from the grace of God. Any desire that tempts us to put faith in any place other than God has the potential to lead us away from the grace of God and be directed away from him down a darker path. I know that's not what God wants for us. I know that if we really think about it, that's not what we want for us either. You don't want to go, if I do this, it'll take me far away from God. Yes, that's typically not how that works. But I think that starts a lot with grumbling. And the grumbling continues in Numbers chapter 11. So we come back to Israel now about two years later after their initial grumbling. Israel is still a spiritual infant, but now under the guidance and influence of the law and the instruction of the law. So after over two years, they're now about 800 days in the desert. There's daily provisions of manna and quail. You think Israel would be past the grumbling thing. You know, after two years, knowing that their needs are met each and every day is phenomenal. And they'd be living the spirit of thankfulness to God, but it doesn't happen that way. In the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15, they talk a lot about the complaining. And the, the name Numbers actually translates to the words in the desert. 
So the book of Numbers is the book of them in the desert. And there's a lot about the Israelites' journey in the desert. And we see a lot of complaining. A lot of ingratitude, a lot of grumbling. They complain about the hardships in spite of the freedom that they have. When we, we saw that they complained about not having enough food, then they started complaining about the food. God, we know you give us food every day, but we're tired of it. We don't want it anymore. God, we know you give us this every day, but I'm just, I'm past it. I am beyond eating this. Even though it was a free gift that God was giving to them each and every day. They were so tired of it, they started to complain. They started to grumble. Then their grumbling got Moses so upset that he began to complain to God. Not about the food, but about the complainers. So now we have the complainers complaining to Moses about God. About God. Then we have God, or Moses complaining to God about the complainers. You have this whole cycle of everybody is now complaining. I can only imagine God going, guys, I'm taking care of you every day. <laughs> but, but there's this cycle that just keeps happening. We see this chain reaction. Starts with a few, spreads to more, spreads to the leader. And then it's all filing up to complaining to God about God. Although the menu was the same, they were never without food but they were no longer accepting this food, this generous gift from God. They weren't accepting it graciously. They began to grumble. The text said that this actually, I think it's great that Lindsay talked about how we, get, we, we move God, our hearts move God. Their grumbling moved God, not in a great way. Their grumbling moved God, and it says that he act, the text says that he burned with anger, and he demonstrated that anger by burning the camp's outskirts. Wake-up call, Right? The people cried out to Moses and prayed, and when they did, God put out the fire. It's like, okay, message received. Not a good move. Don't complain about the one, don't don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? We all know that phrase. They were about to do that. But I think it goes to show how frustrating it is, even to God, when we have the spirit of not being thankful for what he's doing in our lives. When we don't look at the provision, we start looking at our preference instead. There's a priority issue there. So this grumbling, what is this grumbling? To understand, I think, God's position and why this made him mad, we've got to understand what does it mean when we grumble. Given how long Israel remained in the desert, right? Consider the number of stories never told. We have a couple books in the Bible that are supposed to cover decades in the desert. So I imagine there's a lot that we don't know, but specifically, these ones are here for a reason. Of everything that happened in the desert, the author put these stories about grumbling and what happened with them in the camp, how God responded to it, for us to know to this day. I think, you know, I know that in scripture it says Moses struggled the time uh, to find the time to lead his people. He had to get people around him to help lead because there were so many people and he was just one man. He had stories to tell, but he deliberately left this in when telling the Exodus story. I think in this, I think it's great that twice Moses highlights the grumbling. This sly grumble, it often justified its beholders. It was destroying what God was trying to build. Moses understood it had the potential to destroy God's people then, which is why he addressed it. But I think he also put it in here for us today because he knew that down the road, we were still going to be struggling with this and it has potential to mess things up for us if we're not careful. I think that he knows. And as we read James, there's an attitude of ingratitude, he says, that leads to sin and eventually pulls us so far away from God that people can stop, stop trusting him. We don't want that. I, know, I don't want that. Moses didn't want that. James didn't want that, which is why they addressed it so heavily in their writings. So what is this grumbling? Simply put, grumbling is the complete opposite of gratitude. Grumbling is the complete opposite of gratitude. To grumble and complain is to completely reject the grace of God that we talked about for a number of weeks. To grumble and complain is to reject the grace of God. Israel's complaining surpassed their unmet physical needs, right? Their murmuring was a faithless faithless act that insinuated that God's provisions were simply not enough. 
They were saying, God, this is not enough. They were choosing to be ungrateful from the daily drop, from the rays of the ground meat, their desire to go back to slavery. Man, they said in Egypt, we have to be fed there. Instead, they were rejecting God's grace, his offer of this salvation and this freedom because their salvation, they were learning, was dependent on their preference instead of what God wanted to do for them. And I think that it, it, start, it all starts with the small things. I think even, even the eating of the manna started as a small thing. Like they're, they're getting this amazing blessing. I can't imagine the first time they saw it, going out there going like literally bread from heaven, this is phenomenal. But now on, on year two, they're going outside going, oh, what's for breakfast? Bread. You know, but, but that's the attitude shift that I think we need to be careful of because they, the, the, the mindset of them knowing they could go outside and God could say, okay, you're not thankful for it, now it's gone. Then they walk outside and say, oh, great, now we have nothing to eat. I know that I do that with my girl sometimes, right? You know, hey, here's something for you. I didn't want that. Well, you get nothing. Thank you. You know, I, I wanted a vanilla milkshake, not a chocolate. Well, now I got two milkshakes. You know, so same concept. So, you know, we got to have an attitude of saying we are so thankful for seeing what God does because what he does is so much better than what we prefer him to do. He knows the plan, and he is so much better than our preference. Grumbling takes form in the small sins, discontent, fussiness, gossip, Negativity, intolerance, impatience, unyielding mindsets and behaviors. <clears throat> I think grumbling sneakily destructs the strongest of people. It can sneakily destruct people that say, I am so grounded, I am feeling good. But these small things come in, this grumbling comes in, and it has this devastating effect over time. People who were once in awe of the greatness of their salvation can end up being so, so far away from seeing what God is doing actively. In essence, grumbling gives us a free pass to shift our focus from faith in God's provision and focus on the problems of our life instead. Instead of focusing on God's provision, we focus on the problem. It takes our problem at hand and turns it into a spiritual issue of the heart, which inevitably eats away at our recognition of seeing what God is actively doing. Israel imagined they'd be better off as dying oppressed slaves in Egypt rather than, lie, rather than to die as free people in the desert. Although it was apparent by his provision that God was not going to allow them to all die in the desert, Israel still was saying this moment, we choose death by slavery instead of death by hunger, even though they weren't dying from hunger. Grumbling has the power to bring us to this place, right? And gratitude has the ability to move us backwards, backwards in the thinking and ultimately then in living. I think to, to live without gratitude, to choose to grumble, is to choose to walk backwards, to live without gratitude, to choose to grumble, that is choosing to walk backwards. And maybe you say to yourself, I, I don't want to live life backwards. I don't know of anybody that does. You don't want to go back to bad things. You're wondering, how do I know? How, how do I know that I'm living in this life? How do I know that I have to move forward? How do I get to move forward? We live in this place of backwards living and backwards thinking, and then we get stuck in the why. Why is this happening, God? Why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this to me? I think grumbling rejects gratitude and asks why. It doesn't ask what. It doesn't ask what are you trying to do, God. It asks why, God. Why am I going through this? Why are you doing this to me? The why me or why not me. If we allow ourselves to reflect on this grumble, then an unquenchable emptiness can come from the why. The why is birthed from a place of discontent, and discontent births a whole posture, multiple postures of ingratitude. We've chosen to remain in a thought process that says this is not enough. This is what I wanted, God. I know, I know I wanted freedom, God, but I didn't want the freedom you wanted for me. I really wanted my own idea of freedom. We start asking why. Why can't I have it all? Why can't I have what I want? There has to be something better than what I have, God. Why me? Why am I doing this? This is grumbling. 
I don't want manna. I want steak. I'm tired of quail. I would rather have barbecue. That's the grumbling. I would rather have this instead of this. Instead of saying, God, I'm thankful that I didn't do anything for this, but I see your hand freely giving it each and every day. Ask yourself, is there a sense of discontentment in your soul? Do, do you find yourself stuck in the why? I know very often I do find myself stuck in the why. This, uh, this past week, talking with my family, um, there, there's, like I said, 15 of us. And I have a lot of my family that follows Jesus and some of my family that doesn't. And the ones that don't, this was their question when my brother Abe passed away. I said, why Abe? Why Abe? Why is this happening? And I got to talk to my family and say, I don't think it's a matter of why, Abe. I think it's a matter of what are we going to do now? What are we going to do to move forward? What are we going to do because this happened to my brother, to our brother? What is God going to teach us in here? What is God going to do in us as a family? And I can say in just one short week, my family, we were already close, but we've gotten so much closer in one week. And I get to look up and I say, God, I'm not thankful that my brother passed away. That's hard for me to get through, but I'm thankful that my family is so close. I'm thankful that my family is here. I don't have to ask God why it happened. I get to say, God, I'm thankful for the, what you're doing because of this ha- what happened. I know God can take the biggest tragedy and make it into the biggest masterpiece of his glory. And I know that in this situation for me, I'm getting to see how his masterpiece is starting to unfold in the hearts of my family that doesn't know him. And that's an amazing thing that I get to see. I can look back one day and say, hey, I know when my brother Abe went face-to-face with Jesus, it brought some of my other family that don't know Jesus to Jesus. And that's going to be an amazing story. I get to praise God for the what. So we get to examine our thoughts, examine our attitudes and our words. We get to ask ourselves, where do I grumble? For some of us, it's, it's going to be a wide range of variety, right? When you look at your life, what is it that I grumble with? Am I complaining a lot? Do I, do I look at my life and say, this is not enough? Am I living in a state of I want, I wish, I had, or I miss these things. So I look at others' lives longingly and wish that I had their experiences. Oh, I wish I had their job. I wish I had their house. I wish I had their money. I wish I had fill in the blank. These grumbles can take the form of questions, murmurs under our breath even, just a, oh man, I wish I had that. But I think that's the, the start of something that can spiral into something so much bigger. The Bible refers to that as the spirit of ingratitude. A grumbling heart is the antithesis of a grateful heart. Now, there is a cure, though. I love that Scripture gives us a cure for grumbling. The cure for grumbling, are you ready for this? Mind-blowing. Be grateful. The cure for grumbling, be grateful. Focus on the blessing. When we look at the good, it makes it really, really hard to focus on the bad. But that comes with a choice. You can choose at your situation. Are we going to choose to look at the bad or are we going to choose to look at the good? We see Israel choosing to look at the bad. They were choosing to say, God, you're doing this, but we don't want this. I'm going to choose to say I could have this instead. And when we do that, we, uh, we saw with Israel, it changed their minds. It changed their hearts and attitudes to the point where they physically wanted to go back. We can make that same choice in our lives. Are we going to choose to look at what God is doing, choose to look at the good, or are we going to choose to look at the bad? I would say look at the ways God is actively working in your life. And better than just looking at it, write it down. Write it down so you, you have something you can always go back to when things get hard. I'm not saying things don't get hard and attitudes aren't going to get upset. I understand you know, we're, we're human and we do get upset with things. But when we have something we can physically look back at and say, man, life is hard right now. Let me look back at the way God has always provided for me. That's an immediate mind shift. 
And I love being able to have something to look at to do that. Take time to physically look at all the things that God has done and choose to be thankful for it. Then look at the worst time in your life. Now, now hear me, don't look at it to be bummed. Don't look at it to go, oh man, that was horrible and complain about it. But look at it to see how far God has brought you from that point. Look at it and say, wow, I can see when I was here what God did to get me out of there and then write that down on your list of things to be thankful for. Say, man, this is why I don't have to complain because back then it was hard. God got me through it and see his hand actively working in your life. In the book of Psalm and also in scripture, we hear a verse about the river Negev and how it's full and flowing. Psalm talks about how the Lord brings the rain and it overflows this river. And later in scripture, we see Israelites walking past this river, and the river is dry and empty. And when the river is dry and empty, you know what they say about it? They praise. They praise this dry and empty river. And you start wondering, why are they praising this dry river? It's because they knew that even in that moment when it was dry, God was going to fill the river. I love it that they're not choosing to look at what, what, what is and say, oh man, this river's dry. We're free from, this is when they were praised, walking by the river. They'd just been freed from captivity. So it would have been easy to say, hey, we're free. We don't have water to drink. But they didn't do that. They saw the dry river and they praised because they knew what God was going to do. They chose not to complain. They chose to be thankful for what God had done in the past and how he was going to provide for them in the future. Instead of grumbling, choose gratitude. Let that be your foundation. Let that be your core. Let that be the source of your thankfulness and let God do wonders in you and through you. I'll have a couple pictures for you I want to see. So look, look at this first picture. This, uh, this first picture is a, a very stormy day, right? Imagine going to the beach and seeing that. Not your great day at the beach, right? You look at this, you see gray clouds. You know what's coming, the rain, the thunder, the dark skies. Not something most of us go crazy to see, but as I'm finding out here in Washington, that's kind of the normal. You know, it's just in the season, you see the clouds and the rain. But I also talked to someone who told me that almost every year in February, he actually gets uh, a little depressed. He said not like where it changes everything, but he can feel it. And he said it's, be, it's because he knows of the grayness and the rain and the clouds. He just, he's longing to see the sunlight. So sometimes when we see this picture, we think, man, this is just ridiculous. This, this just doesn't bring up the, the warmest of happy thoughts. Let me show you the second picture, right? Yeah, the sunshine. This is what you want to see when you go to the beach, right? You want to have a, a fun, a, a, something to do outside. You want to go ride your bike. You want to go on a hike. You, want to, you just want to be out and enjoy outdoors. This is typically what you look for. You're like, yeah, I want to look at this. I want to see this. This is what I love, the sun and all the activities that come with it. Now, what if I told you you can see both at the same time, but you have to choose your focus? Look at the next picture. It's the same picture, but what are you going to look at? Are you going to look at the? Are you going to look at the clouds and say, "Oh man, there's a storm coming in. There's a storm coming in, and we can't do anything because look at all that. There's no fun." Or are you going to look at the left and say, "The light's coming in." I can look and I can see God moving in this. I can see the positive. I'm not going to complain about the other side because I see this side. I know it's there, and I can actively walk in that instead. Are we grumbling about the clouds? Or are we praising the sun? If we want to get rid of our grumbling hearts, focus on the blessing. Look at the whole picture. Choose your focus. Choose to see what God is doing. Choose to see the blessings that he's given you. And choose to be grateful and have that gratitude spirit that comes the opposite of grumbling and complaining. I'd like to invite the worship team back up this morning. I love that a grumbling does not have the final say. 
God's grace surpasses grumbling. He's gracious to forgive. And the answer to our ingratitude does not require a movement of mountains. It just requires a shift in our perspective, a shift in our attitude, a shift in our thoughts. We can begin to push the needle forward and start practicing gratitude right now. So ask yourself, how can I move that needle forward in my life this week? Does it include a gratitude practice? Does it include a time that I'm designating to just thank God for what's going on? If you feel stuck in the why, is it because you need to release something? Is something weighing down on you where you have a, you're complaining about something like, man, I can't get past this and I just want it to stop? Do you have to take a shift away from that and say, I'm going to be thankful instead of having this ingratitude moment? How can I replace that mindset and show God that I'm thankful? The beauty of the gospel of grace is just that. It's a freedom based on grace, based on the grace of God. You don't have to earn your way into his spirit. You don't have to earn your way into a posture of gratitude. We can receive this anytime, and we can live with it. Would you stand with me? And practicing gratitude, accepting and expressing his grace, it can begin right now today. As we leave here today, pray about it. How can God shift this, this attitude in you to be one of grateful? How can God use you this season to affect other people around you, having the spirit of being thankful and gratitude for those instead of grumbling and complaining? I'm excited when I, when I think of us and what I know that, that God's doing here in us. And we get to say, hey, God, I'm going to give this up because I'm thankful for you. And God gets to do amazing things through it because we're not going to complain. We're going to praise. Amen? God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that... Uh, that you speak so much about this heart of, of gratitude and thankfulness. And I thank you that you are such a grace-filled God. I pray for us, if there's anything weighing us down, anyone in here where something is weighing them down, um, someone watching us online, if you're online and something's weighing you down, God, I pray that you allow us to release that and shift our perspective to see what you're doing in it instead. We don't ask why, we ask what. What can we learn? What are we doing? God, what are you doing in this situation? And how do we get to be a part of it? God, I pray that our attitudes change, our hearts change, they get molded to be more like yours, and we adopt this attitude of thankfulness, and we push the grumbling aside. We thank you, God. We love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.